St. Gregory of Nyssa was born around 335 and died in 395. He is one of the great Cappadocian fathers who are amongst the world's most sublime mystical writers of any tradition. And amongst their families, the two families, there are there were 14 canonised saints all living at the same time including a group of five absolutely extraordinary women who I call the saintly Cappadocian women and who constitute certainly one of the most remarkable, if not even the most remarkable groups of saintly women in spiritual history. But there is more on that in the introduction in the talk if anybody wants to look at that. I also realised in the early hours of this morning, lying awake with nerves and not being trembling, as I am now, um, that there are a lot of references in this talk to Dom Sylvester, and many of you won't perhaps know who Dom Sylvester was. Dom Sylvester was a Benedictine monk who died in 1992, and he was a very good friend of Bulent Rauf and of Chisholm. And I think the best thing I can, the closest I can come to summarising the Dom is that he once gave a seminar on a Meister Eckhart sermon filled with quotes from Mohaidin ibn Arabi and illustrated with a Buddhist icon. <laughs> because for him, they were the same, it was the same wine. And one may say of Mohaidin ibn Arabi and Bulent and Dom Sylvester that their hearts were indeed formless, but they had hearts that were capable of all forms. And indeed, they were a marvel, a garden among flames. And indeed, they all did follow love's camels. So the singleness of being, with the implications of what it means to be truly human, within the context of the works of St. Gregory of Nyssa, the singleness of being, the unity of existence, lies at the heart of the life and works of Muhyiddin ibn Arabi, and of which his works constitute the most sublime exposition ever committed to writing. It also lies at the very heart of the lives and works of the Cappadocians, as indeed it lies at the heart of the lives and works of the great mystics of all traditions, which in origin are one. Just as Meister Eckhart, an heir of the Cappadocians, said that he only ever really gave one sermon, since all his sermons were about the same thing, so Muhyiddin ibn Arabi and the Cappadocians are talking about the same thing. The language may be different, but as Mavlana Jalaluddin Rumi said, the bottle's language may be different, but the wine is the same. The wine, as Dom Sylvester said, is that God is the origin, source, actuality, and therefore the truth both of ourselves and of the whole of creation, and the truth, both of ourselves and of the whole of creation, is God as our and its origin, source and actuality. Accordingly, both we and the whole of creation exist not as beings, for being belongs to God, but as becomings, and by becoming, is meant being on loan, actualized in the movement of self-gift, which God himself is, and which in Christian spirituality is called the Holy Spirit. St. John said, God is love. And the love which God is, agape in Greek, is the giving of self. In and as love, for as St. Gregory says, God has no need of becoming. As and in love, 
God gives himself to himself as himself. And in that movement of self-gift, we are created and fashioned according to the condition of our original creation in the image and the likeness of God, which is known as the first birth, the birth of God into the soul. Bulent Rauf said, love is the movement of beauty. Thus, the movement of self-gift is God's self-gift of himself to himself, as himself, as sheer, absolute beauty. The condition of our original creation as according to the image and the likeness of God is therefore our creation as according to God's own perfect image of himself as he himself always and forever is within himself a sheer absolute beauty. Muhyiddin ibn Arabi says of the condition of our original creation the perfect man is such a pure, clean, absolute mirror that God, who is absolute beauty, sees his ipsaity unconditionally therein. And Saint Gregory says, he did not make the heavens in his image, nor the moon, the sun, the beauty of the stars, nor anything else which you can see in the created universe. You alone are made in the likeness of that nature which surpasses all understanding. You alone are a similitude of eternal beauty, a receptacle of happiness, an image of the true light. And if you look up to him, you will become what he is, imitating him who shines within you, whose glory is reflected in your purity. Nothing in all creation can equal your grandeur. All the heavens can fit into the palm of God's hand. The earth and the sea are measured in the hollows of his hands, and though he is so great, that he can grasp all creation in his palm, you can wholly embrace him. Nor is he cramped, he dwells within you, nor is he cramped as he pervades your entire being, saying, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And again, referring to God as the actuality both of ourselves and of the whole of creation, St. Gregory says, It does not seem to me that the Gospel is speaking of the firmament of heaven as some remote habitation of God when it advises us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect because the divine is equally present in all things and in like manner it pervades all creation and it does not exist separated from being but the divine nature touches each element of being with equal honour, encompassing all things within itself. And the prophet teaches this, saying, Even if I am in heaven in my thought, even if I examine what is below the earth in my calculation, you are present. Even if I extend the intellectual part of my soul to the boundaries of being, I see all things in the power of your right hand. For the text is as follows. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I sink to the nether world, you are present there. If I take the wings of the dawn or settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me and your right hand hold me fast. It is possible to learn from these words that not being separated by choice from God is the same as living in heaven. Not 
being separated by choice from God is the same as living in heaven. Because we are created in the movement of self-gift, which movement God is and which Bulent Ralph says, which is, as Bulent Ralph says, love, the love which God is, as it is the giving of self, is completely free of any element of compulsion. We are accordingly free, as St. Gregory says here, and Dom Sylvester said, to resent our true nature. To resent the fact that both we and the whole of creation exist not as beings, but as becomings, actualized by and in the movement of self-gift, and to choose of our own free will to affirm ourselves rather than God. By so doing, we determine over God by compelling him to appear in us and to act in us as ourselves, in us as in his own perfect image only. For by affirming ourselves rather than him, which is the meaning of the words sin and evil within the works of St. Gregory, whilst we retain the image which can never be effaced, we lose the likeness which is the constant conscious awareness resulting from the emptiness of self, of the image within. Thus, the likeness is the same as not being separated by choice from God and is the same as living in heaven. Because by affirming God, thereby being empty of ourselves, we return in the restoration of the lost likeness to the image, to the condition of our original creation, as according to both the image and the likeness of God. This is the second birth, the birth of God, the birth of the soul back into God. St. Gregory talks about this process in his exposition of the spiritual meaning of the parable of the missing piece of silver, which St. Gregory calls the lost drachma. The parable is as follows. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbours together, saying, Rejoice with me! for I have found the peace which I had lost. St. Gregory says, The human effort extends only to this, the removal of the filth which has accumulated through evil and the bringing to light again the beauty in the soul which we had covered over. It is such a dogma that I think the Lord is teaching in the Gospel to those who are able to hear wisdom when it is mysteriously spoken, the kingdom of God is within you. This saying shows, I believe, that the goodness of God is not separated from our nature or far away from those who choose to seek it, but is ever present in each individual, unknown and forgotten, when one is choked by the cares and pleasures of life, but discovered again when we turn our attention back to it. I think this is what the Lord was suggesting in the search for the lost drachma. The rest of the virtues which the Lord refers to as drachmas are of no use, even if they are all present in the soul, if the soul is bereft of the one that is lost. Then he tells us to look for the lost drachma in our own house, that is, in ourselves. Through this parable, he suggests that the image of the king is not entirely lost, but that it is hidden under the dirt. Once this has been swept away, that which is being looked for becomes visible. The great image of the king, which the creator implanted in our hearts from the beginning, is uncovered and brought to light. Then these faculties turn towards that divine joy and merriment, 
gazing upon the unspeakable beauty of what has been recovered, who now look to the beautiful and the good and do everything for the glory of God. This concern, then, for the finding of what is lost is the restoration to the original state of the divine image which is now covered. Thus St. Gregory says we lose the likeness because through our gluttony we filled ourselves voluntarily with the opposite. I mean, we tasted disobedience to the word of God. Here St. Gregory discusses the spiritual meaning of gluttony which is the affirmation of ourselves rather than God, by means of which we lose the likeness, thereby taking our nourishment from ourselves rather than from God. That is, we determine over God by choosing to allow him to appear in us and to nourish us as ourselves in his own perfect image only, rather than as himself in us as in his own perfect image and likeness. For as St. Gregory points out, Christ said, My meat is to do the will of the Father. St. Gregory also says, with St. Paul, What is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour is that he will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Thus, by affirming ourselves, we disobey the wish of God that all men be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Having lost the likeness by way of disobedience, our return to the condition of our original creation as according to both the image and the likeness of God through the restoration of the lost likeness to the image takes place by way of the opposite of disobedience, that is, by way of obedience. And as Dom Sylvester said many times, obedience is the same as submission. And submission and obedience is and are the same as, and is and are what is meant by Islam. That is, submission is obedience, is Islam. It is affirmed in all traditions that unless we submit to God, to the divine, by way of obedience, it is not possible for us to recover that which we have lost, the likeness. The second birth, the birth of the soul back into God, can take place and can only take place by way of submission, obedience, Islam. The principle of complete and perfect submission to God is embodied in the woman of whom God says in the Holy Quran that she is chosen, purified and chosen above all the women of all the worlds, and whom St. Gabriel greeted with the words, Hail, thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. The Blessed Virgin Mary in whose words at the Annunciation that principle reaches a truly sublime expression. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Just as without Mary's free and willing consent, submission, obedience, Islam, that which followed, the blowing in of the spirit and the birth consequent to it could not have taken place so equally unless and until we submit with the submission and obedience Islam of Mary at the Annunciation. The Annunciation of the birth of the soul back into God cannot take place in us. Neither can the birth consequent to the Annunciation. Which Annunciation? is the annunciation to us both of the birth of God into the soul and of the soul back into God. <coughs> it is for this reason that Mary is said to be platitera ton 
Varanon, wider than, more spacious than the heavens, and accordingly the dwelling place of the uncontainable. This is equally true of each and every person as according to the condition of our original creation in both the image and the likeness of God. But for so long as we have lost the likeness, it is true in potential only. It can be true for and of us in actuality also, as the passage from St. Gregory quoted earlier in this talk indeed tells us, but when and only when we too submit and obey with the submission and obedience Islam of Mary. For then and only then the uncontainable God is contained but only by himself and by way of self-gift by himself in us, now as in his own perfect image and likeness. Thus Mary is universal in her meaning and belongs to all those, irrespective of race, creed, nationality or whatever, who say to God with her, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Moreover, since Mary is the pure place in which the uncontainable God dwells in himself, in his own perfect image and likeness, she is the soul in its true condition and the purified soul which has returned to that condition and the means whereby the soul may return to that condition by restoring the lost likeness to the image. In this sense, Mary belongs to everyone. As such, Mary is the embodiment of and a sublime demonstration for each and every person of the principle and meaning of spiritual virginity and therefore of spiritual purity and spiritual chastity, which, as St Gregory says, has nothing whatsoever to do with abstaining from sex. The virgin, pure, chaste soul is the soul empty of self, irrespective of whether the one in whom this condition exists is involved in a sexual relationship or not. This is indeed a whole scene in itself, which due to the constraints of time it is, in, it is possible to mention but briefly here. However, in his treatise on virginity, a sublime exposition of spiritual virginity, St. Gregory says, let no one think that virginity is so small and cheap that it can be thought of as attainable through a slight control of the flesh. <laughs> Since everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin, that is, turning to evil in any matter and situation somehow enslaves a man, it is fitting for the one aiming at the great goal of virginity to be uniformly virtuous and for purity to be evident in every aspect of his life. In this, St. Gregory is in complete agreement with both his contemporaries and his spiritual ancestors in the Eastern Church. For as St. Gregory says, the goal of the soul which honours virginity is to be filled with God. Such an one, St. Gregory says, has realised and fulfilled within herself or himself the meaning of the beatitude, Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. As indeed they have realised and fulfilled within themselves the meaning of Christ's words, You therefore are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. For they too have said with David, A clean heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew within me, and with a guiding spirit sustain me. However, just as Mary... both spiritually and literally, was both virgin and mother, whose virginity was in no way wise compromised by her motherhood, 
rather indeed the one required the other for its completion, fulfilment and realisation. So too must the virgin mind for her completion, fulfilment and realisation also be a wife and a mother. Mind as both virgin and wife mother refers to the pure reception, mind as virgin, and the pure transmission, mind as wife and mother, of the divine revelation in each instant, without any interference whatsoever, for when and if, and only when and if, we are empty of self, we allow God to appear in us, mind as virgin, and to act in us, mind as wife and mother, as himself in us, now as in his own perfect image and likeness, which he himself is. God willing, we shall return to this shortly. In his sermons on the Lord's Prayer, writing about the opening words of the prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, St Gregory refers to the parable of the prodigal son, the meaning of which, he says, is essentially the same as the meaning of the parable of the missing piece of silver. What he says about this parable is of profound importance, both for what it does indeed mean to be truly human and for the responsibility that entails. But the words, Our Father who art in heaven, seem to me to indicate a deeper meaning, for they remind us of the fatherland from which we have fallen, and of the noble birthright we have lost. Thus, in the story of the young man who left his father's home and went away to live after the manner of swine, the word shows the misery of men in the form of a parable, and he does not bring him back to his former happiness until he has become sensibly aware of his present plight and entered into himself. Rehearsing words of repentance. Now these words agree as it were with the words of the prayer, for he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He would not have added to his confession the sin against heaven if he had not been convinced that the country he had left when he sinned was heaven. Therefore this confession gave him easy access to the Father, who ran towards him and embraced and kissed him, and he put on, on him the robe, not another one, but the first robe, mm -hmm. of which he had been deprived by his disobedience. The ring on his hand, because of the carved stone, signifies the regaining of the image. Thus the return of the young man to his father's home became to him the occasion of experiencing the loving kindness of his father, for this paternal home is the heaven against which, as he says to his father, he had sinned. In the same way, it seems to me that if the Lord is teaching us to call upon the Father in heaven, he means to remind you of our beautiful fatherland. And by thus putting into your mind a strong desire for these good things, he sets you on the way that will lead you back to your original country. He was not aware of his present plight because he had lost the likeness, and in so doing the young man had gone out of himself. Out of, that is, his true self. And it is only when he becomes aware of his plight that he is able to return to himself, to his true self, in the restoration of the lost likeness to the image, as St. Gregory also says elsewhere. For what happened corporeally in the case of the Immaculate Mary when the fullness of the divinity shone forth in Christ through her virginity takes place in every soul, spiritually giving birth to Christ. Although the Lord no longer effects a bodily presence, for Scripture says we no longer know Christ according to the flesh, but as the Gospel says somewhere, 
He dwells with us spiritually and the Father along with him. Thus he returns to his true fatherland, his true homeland, the country of his true origin, which is the land of our Father who art in heaven, and which is the land of the living. This prayer, this parable, this exposition is and are truly universal, for God is our Father precisely because he is the actuality and therefore the truth both of ourselves and of the home of creation, which means that he is the father of each and every person, irrespective of race, creed, colour, nation or whatever, as he is the father of each and every creature and of the home of creation. Thus each and every person, each and every creature, and indeed the whole of creation, is our fellow countryman, our compatriot. And herein, perhaps, lies the true meaning of patriotism. For regardless of whatever nation a person may apparently belong to, that person's true homeland is the same as ours, the land of our Father who art in heaven. St Gregory reminds us that we are commanded by our Father first to hear that the Lord our God is one, and to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. And secondly, after that, to love our neighbour as ourselves. Which commandments were repeated by Christ, and of which Christ said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, and there is none other commandment greater than these. St Gregory says that, if the first is not there, clearly the second will not be present. If, for if one does not love God with all his heart and all his soul, how can he care wholesomely and guilelessly for the love of his brothers, since he is not fulfilling the love of the one on whose account he has a care for the love of his brothers? Our Father who commands us to do this he is also the father of our neighbour, our brother, our compatriot. Thus, since the same is essentially true of each and every person, and therefore we are essentially one soul, perhaps we may also say, say with Mevlana Jalalid in Rume, to him, and perhaps also to our brother, our neighbour, our compatriot, and also to, to and of each and every creature, as well as to the whole of creation, the other who is in fact no other. Thou didst contrive this I and we in order to play the game of worship with thyself, that all eyes and thou might become one soul and at last be submerged in the beloved. The prodigal son is each and every person who has not recovered the lost likeness. And in each and every case, our Father longs and yearns. For has he not indeed said, my yearning for them is greater by far than their yearning for me. And Bulent Rev said it's up to us to prove him wrong. <laughs> <laughs> He longs and yearns to rush towards each and every person, each and every prodigal son, to embrace and to kiss her or him, and to dress her or him in the first robe, and to place the ring on her, the finger, and to say to each and every one, For this my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. For St. Gregory, as also for Muhyiddin ibn Arabi, our prime responsibility is to realize who we truly are, and therefore who our neighbour truly is, and accordingly to know the creation as it truly is. This is not only our prime responsibility, it is in fact our sole responsibility. As Lois Lang Sims so beautifully says, quoting from Plato's Republic, 
Let each one of us leave every other kind of knowledge and seek and follow one thing only. Lois Lang Sims says, It, the way, is to be found in the essential teachings that have come down to us through the great religious traditions. It is to be found in the testimony of the true mystics of those same traditions whose knowledge acquired in humility transcends all apparent differences between the various systems of ritual, symbolism and myth. It is to be found above all insofar as we pay attention to the inner voice that speaks with certainty within the heart. It is the essential message of religious tradition which is always and everywhere the same. The purpose of our lives, our societies, our world is one thing only, to return as swiftly and surely as we can to God. In a series of three treatises written over a number of years on what it means to call oneself a Christian, on perfection and on the Christian mode of life, the latter believed to have been written in the last years of his life, St Gregory poses and answers the question, what does it mean to call oneself and to be a Christian? His answer is both remarkable and wonderful. For he says, truly to be a Christian, a person must be able to say with St. Paul, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. And our whole life, in every single thought, word and deed, in each and every instant, should be a testimony to that. For as St. Gregory says, being something does not result from being called something. If, therefore, St. Gregory says, someone puts on the name of Christ, but does not exhibit in his life what is indicated by the term, such a person belies the name and puts on a lifeless mask. For it is not possible for Christ not to be justice and purity and truth and estrangement from all evil, nor is it possible to be a Christian, that is, truly a Christian, without displaying in oneself a participation in these virtues. Accordingly, St. Gregory says, if a person is truly to be called a Christian, then every word, deed or thought must look to Christ. And if not, then such a person is not truly a Christian, for such a person rejects Christ by what he thinks, does or says. St. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. In saying I am crucified with Christ, St. Paul and St. Gregory with him is referring to the inner spiritual meaning of the crucifixion as our crucifixion, whereby we die to self, which results in the second birth the birth of the soul, back into God. Thus we too do not frustrate the grace of God, for we no longer frustrate the wish of God to greet us as he greeted the prodigal son. So in order truly to be a Christian, according to St Gregory's definition, it is necessary to return to the condition of our original creation, to return, that is, as St Gregory so aptly puts it, to our original good fortune. It is impossible for us to realise and fulfil this meaning within ourselves without also being a Muslim. Within the context in which Muhyiddin ibn Arabi uses the word and according to its meaning. For as has already been mentioned, Dom Sylvester said many times, Submission is obedience, and submission, obedience is and are the same as, and is and are what is meant by Islam. In similar vein, J.G. Bennett wrote, I really had thought that at our last meeting I had succeeded in conveying to Emin Bey that my aim and hope is to become that which a good Muslim should be, and that for me, 
it is the same as a good Christian or a good Buddhist. One might perhaps also add a good Hindu or a good Taoist, for it is not possible to be a good Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu or Taoist without being in a state of complete and perfect submission, obedience, Islam to God. Perhaps then we recognise that whatever our faith may be, we all drink from the same source. For whilst the bottles may appear to be different, as Mavlana Jalaluddin Rumi so beautifully put it, the wine inside them is the same. As Lois Lang Sims also says, and her words apply equally to St Gregory, St Paul wrote to the Corinthians, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. These words employ the Christian formula to describe a state of being that may be described in as many other ways as there are as there are holy traditions to provide those ways. The formula contains reality, but it does not constrain the reality. The words we have quoted are a description of the birth of God in the soul and of the soul in God. In his commentary on the Song of Songs, St Gregory refers to the parable of the Good Samaritan. St Gregory says that the man who fell among thieves and robbers is again us, that the Good Samaritan is the word, the inn to which the man, we, is, are, taken, is the inn of his loving providence, and that all who enter therein receive within themselves that which receives them. As the word himself has said, he abideth in me and I in him. Accordingly, man then receives within himself the Lord whom nothing can contain. St Gregory then says that the two coins given to the innkeeper represent the two commandments mentioned above, of which he says, we must not merely accept the two coins, I mean our faith in God and a good conscience with respect to our fellow man, but we must, by our own good deeds, cooperate in the fulfilment of these two commandments. As Christ says, and he says it to each and every person, in response to the reply that the neighbour of the man who fell among thieves is the one who showed mercy, go and do thou likewise. Therein, as St. Gregory says, lies our responsibility. All of which brings us back to mind as virgin and as wife. If and when, and only if and when, we have recovered the lost likeness and are clothed once more in the first robe, then we are also clothed in what St. Gregory sometimes calls the virtues and sometimes the energies of God. In either case, what St. Gregory calls the virtues or the divine energies is the same as the divine names of Muhyiddin and Arabi. And being clothed with the virtues energies is the same as being clothed with the divine names and which are accordingly received by way of and only by way of self-gift, by virgin mind and transmitted to our neighbours, our compatriots and to the creation by mind in her capacity as wife and mother. As St Gregory says, everybody knows that the function of bodily union is the creation of mortal bodies, but that life and incorruptibility are born instead of children to those who are united in their participation in the spirit. Excellent is the apostolic saying about this, that the mother blessed with such children will be saved by childbearing. Just as the psalmist utters in the divine hymns, he establishes in her home the barren wife as the joyful mother of children. The virgin mother who begets immortal children through the Spirit truly rejoices, and she is called barren because of her moderation. Again, St Gregory says, Birth comes not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God alone. 
This occurs when someone, through the life-giving quality of the heart, takes on the incorruptibility of the spirit and begets wisdom and justice and holiness and redemption. It is possible for everyone to become a mother in reality in this respect. Since the Lord says somewhere, the one doing my will is my brother and my sister and my mother. For when and only when we have returned to the condition of our original creation, what flows through us and out to our neighbour, our compatriot, as well as to the creation, is, as St Gregory affirms, the divine love, the divine mercy, the divine compassion, the divine justice. Which means not only giving to each and every person exactly what is needed, but also giving to each and every instant exactly what it requires, and so on with all the virtues, the energies, the qualities, the names of God. For example, in his sermon on the Beatitude, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. St. Gregory says that the merciful of the Beatitude are, first and foremost, those who show mercy upon themselves. When the soul becomes aware of what it once possessed and from what state it has fallen by seeking to recover the lost likeness. So everybody in this room, as indeed each and every person who seeks to know themselves in order to know God, is the merciful whom beatitude itself calls blessed. What follows from this, St Gregory says, is that not only do we obtain mercy, in having our desire fulfilled. But, consequently, the fruit of mercy becomes itself the possession of the merciful, in that, by way of, and only by way of self-gift, what flows through us and out from us is the divine mercy, the divine compassion. For as St Gregory says, unless mercy soften the soul, Man cannot arrive at healing the ills of his neighbour. As it is with the merciful, so is it equally with all the virtues, energies, names. To give just one more example, in the Sermon on the Beatitude, Blessed are the Peacemakers, St Gregory says that the peacemaker par excellence is the one who pacifies perfectly the discord within herself or himself between the inner and the outer, the spiritual and the material, the divine and the human, so that the two, whilst retaining each its integrity, function perfectly as one, because the lower, now that the veil of self has been removed, is in complete submission obedience to the higher, and thus what appears is the same as what is hidden. And what is hidden is the same as what appears. Thus, that which was formerly seen as other, thereby being the source of discord, is now known and witnessed, both within ourselves and within the whole of creation, as we and it truly are, as no other. This results in the absence of discord and the presence of harmony, of peace. For as St Gregory says, peace is the harmony of dissonant parts. And we now witness, as Joseph Campbell says, that there is the peace of eternal being within every aspect of the field of temporal becoming. And it is this peace, the divine peace, which as St Gregory says, now flows into us, through us, and out into our neighbour and the whole of creation. Peace is indeed the greatest of joy-giving things, and this he wishes each of us to have in such measure as to keep it not only for himself, but to be able to dispense from the overflow of his abundance also to others. For he says, blessed are the peacemakers. Now a peacemaker is one who gives peace to another, but one cannot give to another what one does not possess oneself. Hence the Lord wants you first to be yourself filled with the blessings of peace and then to communicate it 
to those who have need of it. And St. Gregory continues, Therefore, he wants the grace of peace fully to abound in you, like the pleasant scent of sweet spices that fills the air around it with its own fragrance, so that your life may heal the sickness of others. St. Gregory talks a lot, for example, throughout the sermons on the Beatitudes about the profound difference this all makes, not only to our own lives, but also according to the way in which we respond to our neighbours and to the creation. He would be in complete agreement with Don Sylvester when he said, as he said many times, it is not necessary for the saint to be a scientist but it is necessary for the scientist to be a saint. And one may, of course, replace scientist with any other profession. I'm going to conclude with another quotation from St. Gregory. This is the second time I have concluded a piece in this room with this quotation. God willing, the book I am now writing will end with this very quotation. But before I do, I would like to recall St. Gregory's words in the parable of the lost drachma about what happens when and if we find that which we have lost. For then, he says, we gaze upon the unspeakable beauty of what has been recovered. Well, Aunt Ralph once asked, what does the saint see? His answer consisted of just one word, beauty. So, as both St. Gregory and Bulentrev say, to be truly human means to see beauty, which is indeed relevant to the quote in question. It is short, but it goes to the very heart of the life and works of St. Gregory. As indeed I venture to suggest it goes to the very heart of the life and works of Muhyiddin ibn Arabi. It is a sublime statement of what it means to be truly human and therefore of the responsibility entailed within that. St. Gregory says to him, to God, but thou art truly beautiful. Thou dost subsist for all eternity in the very essence of beauty, remaining forever what thou art. Thou dost extend thy beauty over the entire eternity of thine existence. This is thy love for man. Thank you. I hope it was worth it. I hope it was worth it.